You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. All right, everyone, welcome to Dove Valley Deep Divers. Joining me today is Carl. Lance, unfortunately, had some stuff coming up with his his living situation and if you guys watched the podcast last week or listened to it you guys would know what's going on because he kind of had a mouse almost run up his leg during the show (laughs) so carl's joining me today we're gonna be talking about Derek wolf and some stuff that came out in his interviews today with the after he's signing with the baltimore ravens he interviewed with some of the their beat writers over there and gave out some pretty interesting information but before we get to that carl how is everything going for you uh, things are good. I just got done with a jam session. I've uh, with this whole thing going on and working at a church, all of my music people can't meet with me. So I've kind of had to do the music side of things. And uh, I when I when I first started, I told them, I said, I'm not going to play music. I've got enough of the other things to be doing. But now I'm going, man, I love playing music. So that's what I've gotten to do the last uh, few weeks here. That's actually pretty awesome. I'm with what I'm doing with uh, everything so slow for us that my boss is actually bringing his his ukulele and his gitulele, and he's been <laughs> yeah. teaching me how to play a little bit of that. So, been having some pretty fun stuff there. So, <laughs> all right, before we jump to Derek Wolf, uh, Paul came in with a twenty dollars donation saying, "A step closer for Eric to get a horse head." Hashtag Eric's horse head fund. Boom. <laughs> so, Carl, last week. Things got a little bit silly on Dove Valley Deep Divers. I ended up wearing both my ties and everything. Yeah. And Paul Paul jumped in and started asking about if I would wear a horse head on this. I told him if I if I could get one, I, I would definitely wear one. So that's what that's about. And thank you, Paul, for the donation. We appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so with Derek Wolf, obviously everybody knows he signed with the Baltimore Ravens now, which for me is a really is a bummer. He was my favorite player on the Broncos. I mean, I know everybody loved Von Miller and Champ Bailey. And all these other players, but ever since they drafted him, knowing his story and knowing how high I was pre-draft and everything, it was just so it, it was so awesome that Denver drafted a guy that I was so so uh like basically head over heels in love with. And now he's gone and my heart is broken. But at least he finished out the season because one of the things that he did mention when he was talking to these Baltimore Ravens guys is that he almost asked for a trade out of Denver prior to the trade deadline. I'm not sure if I missed why or anything like that, but I'm glad that he was able to. And he said that he's because of his loyalty to Denver, he decided to stick it out and finish the season off. And I'm really glad he did. Glad he's able to finish off the season, but it's still, it's, it's still a bummer to see him go. Right. Right. I mean, other than Von Miller, he's been the guy that's been around the longest and it's, it's always been great to hear the stories of when young guys come in, Derek Wolf is the guy that puts them on the right path. Uh, We are here to work. This is our job. We're going to do our best. You know, when young guys are walking around, he's like, why are you walking? Uh, He was always leading by example. It it just, to see that gone, that kind of leadership, that kind of attitude in the locker room. And uh, it just, it is, he's been such a part of uh, the history of the Broncos that uh, he he definitely will be missed. Yeah. And part of my, one thing that I'm concerned about with him leaving is, is the defensive line going to be the same? Because Derek Wolf brought an attitude to that defensive line. I mean, are we going to get somebody else to sit there and scream at Phillip Rivers that he's going to eat one of their kids? <laughs> like, are, are we going to get that? That's part of the reason why I'm so, so bummed about this. But what, do, what specifically do you think about him and almost demanding a trade out of Denver and basically not just out of Denver, but part of the comment was that he was almost demanded it to go to Baltimore. Yeah. And then and then real quick too is another thing with this is when everything fell through with Michael Brockers, he told his agent, get something done with Baltimore. I don't care about the money. Yeah. It, it's it's understandable. I mean, he was used to when he first came on, 2012, of course, that's the same year as as Peyton Manning. And so the first four years of his career were absolute winning, expecting Super Bowl aspirations. And these last three years, I mean, as fans it's weird on us. I mean, it's, it's tough covering them sometimes uh, because it's hard to stay positive when so much negative is going on. 
And, and so I can understand for him of, of that frustration of wanting to close out his career with a winning record, uh, go to a team that stands another chance of winning a Super Bowl. And, and so and, and Baltimore is a great organization. I mean, probably one of the top five run programs in all of, of football right now. And I mean, just look at the trades that they made this offseason. They, they won pretty much every trade they made. And the deals that they signed, they weren't really they weren't overpaying for people, all those kind of things. And so, yeah, for him, it makes sense. Go there. They got a really good setup. Obviously, number one seed going into the, the playoffs last year had kind of a fluke, weird game that I'm guessing if they played 10 more times, they would have won nine of those. But uh, it, it just it is it's hard to say goodbye. And it's hard to hear that he was frustrated in Denver. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's nice now that there is a little bit of excitement. But but we even know that Von Miller got frustrated last year. That there was times that he was kind of going, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so uh, it, it, those veterans, again, when they are so used to being one way and then these last few years have been a different way, it's that, that should be expected that they're going to be that way. Yeah, and that's definitely true. And one thing with Derek Wolf that – I'm really happy about is that he fully expected the Baltimore Ravens to draft him. He thought when it with the pick before Denver traded up, that's where he thought he was going. And then it comes around that the Baltimore Ravens, they're drafting Courtney Upshaw, who I completely forgot about. And pre-show, I actually had to look up who it was. I just knew it was an <laughs> Alabama linebacker. I couldn't think of his name. But it just it goes to show that for years, Derek Wolf has been connected to Baltimore. Even going, I mean, nine almost nine years. Been, they spent a lot of time drafting him. They kept getting to know him. Like every chance they got, they were talking to him. And so everyone, there's a lot of people even pre-draft that was connecting Baltimore and Derek Wolf. That's one thing I can remember. And then as soon as they announced Courtney Upshaw and I saw the Broncos trade up, I'm like, oh, yes, please be Derek Wolf. And it happened. So it's funny how, I don't want to say fate, but it's just, it's funny how things work out. All those yeah. years ago, he thought Baltimore was going to take him. And now all these years later, he ends up signing with them and doing what basically probably taking a little bit less, maybe telling his agent, don't care about the money. Just get me there Yeah, to land with a team that he thought was going to draft him. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, I'm, I'm again, I'm happy for him. And it does sound like when he retires, he wants to come back to Denver. Yeah. And so, I mean, he, he is very connected to the community. Uh, this isn't the end of things with Wolf. It wouldn't surprise me if he figured out a way to, uh, be a part of off-season workouts with players and, and you know, found a way to stay with football because he loves it. I mean, yeah. you can tell how much this guy loves football. Now, his body doesn't always love football, <laughs> unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I, again, I think he's going to find a way to stay connected. And it wouldn't surprise me, kind of like Peyton Manning, of how he stayed connected with the Broncos uh, of making that work. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and... Michelle Parker comes in. I'm hopefully pronounce your name right. I'm terrible at pronouncing names. I'm actually pretty well known for that. And, and it says, big fans, fellas, making our day brighter. Keep it up. Thank you for that. We really appreciate that. And we want you guys to know that, especially during these times, that you guys are helping our days be yeah. a little bit brighter, too. I mean, I can't speak for Carl or Nick or any of the other guys, but I, I look forward to this. Just being able to step away from everything for half hour, 60 minutes, whatever, and just talk football, no other distractions, nothing. So thank you guys for allowing us to do that. And then David Cromlow comes in with a $2 donation. Thank you, David. And asks, is this Vaughn's last season in Denver? And I think it really depends on what happens during the season. I, it's, I know that's kind of just pushing your question away, and I'm not trying to do that. But it really does. It's gonna If he has another disappointing season, I mean, and he shouldn't. He should bounce back in the scheme. I mean, right. you can understand it when things aren't clicking on the back end and still learning the scheme and everything and all the changes that were going on in the back end, it's understandable that he's going to have a little bit of a rough year. So if he doesn't bounce back, very well could be. If he does bounce back, then obviously I don't think that he will. Well, and and it could be, let's say he has a, a halfway decent season and somebody comes in that thinks they're that one player away and offers a really good trade deal. And the Broncos are like, hey, th- this is our opportunity to cash in. Uh, I mean, I've been hearing rumors of, you know, like the Patriots are talking some of their top players, trading them off at this time. And and so sometimes you got to be willing to move on when when the time is right. I hope Vaughn doesn't do that. I mean, I I want Vaughn to to retire a Bronco. He has been obviously the heart and soul of this team for since he was drafted. Other he and Peyton Manning pretty much. Uh, So you you hope he gets to stick around. But but at the same time, this is the, the business of football. I mean, Chris Harris Jr., <laughs> Derek Wolf. I mean, all these guys, eventually they move on. Peyton Manning didn't retire with his team. Tom Brady's not retiring with his team. So it just it's hard to have an entire career at one place. And when that career ends, it's just so hard to tell. I mean, one year in football is a lifetime. So much can change. Yeah. And it's just it's something that sucks to be discussing Von Miller's potential departure from the Broncos. That is something that I haven't been able to really like really consider over the last few years, because even though the Broncos haven't been playing well, he's been such a force for them in so many ways. And it hasn't always shown up on the stat sheet, but again, not everything that he does shows up on the stat sheet. So it's definitely hard to consider and think about, but there is definitely something that has to be considered coming in. And then Bonabies comes in and goes, do you both think Alden Smith will be reinstated? I do not. I think he's been out of the league since 2015, correct? It's been three I, years. So 2016. How, so yeah. however, however long it's been, he's been out of the NFL for a long time. And everything I've seen has been that he's really turned things around. He's gotten his life together. He's stepped away from the out, the booze and all the other stuff that was got, given up problems. And I hope he does get reinstated. Uh, he was a really good player. It just couldn't stay off of trouble off. Couldn't stay out of trouble off the field. So, It'll be interesting to see what happens. It was definitely a signing that came out of left field for me, though. Yeah. Uh, well, and it happened on April Fool's Day. <laughs> so it, it, I can't remember who messaged me and said, Alden Smith signed with the Cowboys. And I was like, yeah, right. It, it took me like looking at a few people and going, even even the top guys were saying, it, and I'm still kind of going, come on, is everybody like got this big joke going on right now? Uh, it just it, it didn't make sense that Alden Smith was coming back to the NFL. He was a great player when he was playing. And I mean, really, he was a star. There was talks of whether he or Von Miller were the better of the two. And uh, just, I mean, that's that that season he had, what, 19 sacks or something like that? Yeah. The 2012 season when Von was right there with him. And uh, so I I hope he's got his life in order. I mean, I'm I'm a guy of second chances. I I love a redemption story. Uh, I don't really like the Cowboys. So I really don't want him to have a redemption story with the Cowboys, but at the same time, if he can get his career on the right track, uh, th- that'd be nice to see. Yeah, and one big one thing for me is I always like the stories around surrounding football players. It's one reason why Javon Kinlaw is one of my favorites. It's one of the reasons why Derek Wolf is. And Alden Smith has definitely had a 
a weird road in the NFL, and a lot of it's been brought on by himself. So, as we're talking about, if he can turn his, if he really did turn his life around and he can get back to playing football as the way he did, then that'd be a that'd be a great thing to see. Yeah, and and Joseph Balanowski comes in and says, John Elway and the Denver Broncos are known for getting rid of players. They did it with T- Tebow, C.J. Anderson, T.J. Ward, and a few other names I forget. And this is actually a very true statement. The Denver Broncos do get rid of a lot of players, and sometimes they can be a year early. And with Tim Tebow, I mean, throwing him in there isn't really a, a good name to throw in there because, yes, he did bring them to the Super Bowl, but Denver had a shot at Peyton Manning. Denver yeah. went and got Peyton Manning. It's You're, you're not going to go and have eat this – this almost rotten apple for an apple that's still in pristine condition. Like you're going to pick the good apple for it. Yeah. That's what Denver did there. So, and it, I, I would say John Elway has tried to, in many ways, model himself after the Patriots when it comes to free agency and, and not getting as attached to players as, you know, some people get that emotional tie to players. John Elway has tried to stay away from that for the most part. I mean, that's why you see him be very disciplined in the contracts he hands out. Last year was probably the first time that I really saw him get out of control handing out contracts. And you're kind of going, what What in the world are you doing here? Uh, this year, he kind of went back to the same model of we're, we got a price in mind. When we reach that price, we're done. And and that hurts because there are guys you're sitting there saying, this is talent. We got to get this guy. And if you miss on this guy, who's that next one that's going to be able to come in and, and do anything? Uh, I mean, obviously, they, they showed they had backup plans in place in case they didn't get their guy. And uh, so it, it's a process and, and it does hurt. I mean, you as it's easy for us to get emotionally tied to these players. But uh, at the same time, this is how it goes, you know, in, in a few years you're going to kind of forget that emotional tie. And then yeah. you're going to be understanding of why it happened. Yeah, that is very true. Robert Caslow comes in and says, what is a good offensive tackle in round two? And if the top three wide receivers are gone, should we draft one of the big four offensive tackles if available? This is actually a hard question because one of the best second round offensive tackles, in my opinion, is Lucas Niang. But with the lack of process, being able to vet his medicals and everything like that, our team's going to still take him in that range. I've heard a lot of talk that he could fall all the way down to day three. Ooh. So that that's a tremendous fall from all because of questions about his knee and especially his hip. But he was one guy to look at. Matthew Pert. I mean, Isaiah Wilson. There's a lot of offensive tackles. And I think once you get right outside that round two range for tackles, you're really taking a drop off on it. And if, right. the, if one of those top three wide receivers are gone, it would all depend on who's there. I'm not a big fan of Andrew Thomas. He just gives me a really bad feeling when I watch his tape. And it's the same kind of it's the same kind of bad feeling I got when watching guys like Eric Flowers or Garrett Bowles or Cam Robinson. Like guys who just haven't gone on to do big things in the NFL. Not saying that that means he's going to be a bust. It's just a thing of that I have to factor that in in my evaluation because when I get bad feelings about players, doesn't end well. So some that some that I have to consider in it. But if Tristan Wirfs is there, if Jedrick Wills is there, if even Mackay Becton's there, it would also depend on who else is there. But I would definitely look at one of those three and then getting a wide receiver later. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It, who else is left? Is Kinlaw there? Brown there? Uh, th- there's some guys that could fall. Somebody's going to fall. I mean, that, that's that's not a question. Somebody's going to be there that's going to be a talent that's probably worth that position. Uh and if it's one of those three offensive tackles you listed, I'm, I'm with you on Andrew Thomas. I'm not quite as high as a lot of other people. I have seen him lately climbing boards, but I think kind of what you just said of uh, he doesn't have the health concerns that some other people have. Um, he doesn't have a lot of huge red flags. I mean, his play in college was pretty solid across the board, but he's also one that I feel like he's pretty maxed out on what he's going to do. Yeah. You know, he has that lack of athleticism that the other three really bring to the table. And uh, so he wouldn't be my favorite choice, but the other three I'd be good for. Um, I don't know that there's some limited limitations on who, who I would still be okay to taking. Uh, is there any cornerbacks or anything like that? Because I know that's another position of need for the team that you'd be okay with at 15. This is the overtime podcast network. <laughs> 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that's that's something that's always has to be factored in with any kind of these questions is how else is the board looking? I mean, we can't just we we can't just narrow it down to two positions because NFL teams often don't. I mean, depending on how the board falls, I I would be looking at trading down if I were Denver. I think that if I mean if it comes down to a cornerback there, I wouldn't take a cornerback at fifteen personally because. I don't think that there's good value at that point, especially for the Broncos. I'd be looking at trading down. If the top three receivers and those four offensive tackles are gone, or even if it's just Andrew Thomas, is Javon Kinlaw there? Did Derek Brown fall? Because there's a lot of talk about him falling. I wouldn't be looking at a linebacker. Xavier McKinney, he's the name I would probably look at there. I think that would be a really good fit for the Broncos. So it really does depend on how else everything, how everything else does fall. Yeah. And thank you. I um, appreciate that. Michaela, I'm assuming is how it is. Again, I'm terrible at names. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly. Thank you for coming in and saying how your name is pronounced. Really appreciate that. Um, let's see here. There was another really good question that I saw that I wanted to pull up. And <laughs> flowers <laughs> is an embarrassment to all Eric's everywhere. Yes. I actually had one guy, and this is actually a pretty funny story. During the draft process, he wanted, he actually told me that the only reason why I didn't want Denver to draft Eric, Fra- Eric Flowers was because my name was Eric, and I didn't want him to give us a bad name on a, on the Broncos stage. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is one thing was that absolutely cracked me up. Yeah, there you go. I will say he has kind of turned his career around. He was, a least, he, he was average as a guard this last year, I'd say. Yeah. So uh, I, I will give him that, that he's at least done something to better himself. Yeah. Joy Grubbs. Hey, Eric, what, what do you, or how do you feel about Brian Edwards? I actually am doing a video on it. If you guys don't know that there are finding Broncos videos going up on YouTube that are talking about how certain prospects fit with the Broncos. Brian Edwards is one of them. And I actually kind of make a slight comparison there in that video that might be intriguing to Broncos fans. So when that comes out, definitely check it out. I don't want to spoil too much about it, but I actually really like Brian Edwards' game. And he's actually in the top 100 for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, he's not exactly what the Broncos need at wide receiver, but he he definitely has some some skills to his game. Uh, he's not the, the fastest guy in the world. He's not the quickest by any means, but he can still make plays down the field. He's got pretty good hands. He's pretty, pretty smart. When you're watching him on the field, you can tell that he knows what he's supposed to be doing. Um, so again, not my favorite guy, but he's also a pretty talented player too. Yeah. We got a couple of donations. Terry Randall comes in with $5. Thank you, Terry, for that. You are definitely on the, in the, in the podcast or the huddle up podcast, all of fame with the $5 donation. Again, we really appreciate that. And says hashtag Eric's tie rocks. Yeah. I actually do have it on this, this week guys. <laughs> And says, stay strong, Broncos country. Definitely stay strong, everyone, with everything that's going on. And David Crumwell comes in with another $2 donation and asks, Denver looking at Mims or Rieger if they or Rager if they move down? Um, they definitely could be. I actually really like Mims for this game. And I think that while he does have similarities to like a Tim Patrick or Cortland Sutton with his ability to go get contested catches, I think he has the speed and the athleticism to do multiple different things for them. But what I really love about it is his ability to block. Like he is probably one of the best blocking receivers in this class, which I know a lot of fans don't think is such a big deal. I know a lot of analysts that think that's not a big deal, but to me it is. And then with Jalen Rager, he's definitely a playmaker. I would be concerned a little bit about his focus drops, but that is something that you can work on. Just, Hey, make sure you get the ball in your hands before you start trying to do something else. So definitely be interesting to see if Denver is looking at them. If they move down, I could see it though. Yeah. I, it, even if let's say they miss on wide receiver at 15, take somebody else. It wouldn't surprise me if those are two of the guys that they're focused on trading up for at the beginning of the second round into the first round kind of thing, uh, because they, they both bring exactly what the Broncos are looking for. They both have deep speed. They both have ability to make plays over the middle. Uh, Mims really has just, it, it's amazing that he's gone from like this 
considered a track star trying to play football to a great football player. I mean, th- this past year, he really made a name for himself. And, and Rager, I do – I mean, the drops concern me a little bit, but not too much just because of the, the situation he was in. Bad quarterback play. He was really the only playmaker they had at the wide receiver position. Um, and so I felt like he tried – he had to do too much. And, uh, and it got to him on some of that. Where in Denver, he's the number two guy, maybe even number three behind Noah Fant kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd like either of them here in Denver. Bronx Legend. Bronx Legend comes in with a $5 donation. Thank you, Bronx, for that. We appreciate that. We appreciate all donations. And then Steve McPeak with a $25 donation. Appreciate you guys keep bringing the content, especially right now. Thank you. Amen. We appreciate that. And uh, just, just know that you guys – are also bringing some relief to us as well. So that is something I, that we definitely appreciate. Right. I, I, w- I just have to say, when I see anybody say, talking to Stu in the comments, my uh, nickname in high school was Stu. Because uh, <laughs> my middle name is Stuart, so everybody just called me Stu. And so I always think they're talking to me, and I'm like, oh, no, it's Stu McPeak. And then I do want to cover this. Nate Leitner comes in and says, sorry, can't donate. With the virus short on cash, my question is, what do you think of John Reed day three? Day three pick seems like a good fit because Penn State runs a zone scheme too with some man. Hey, don't feel like you guys have to donate, especially right now. You guys make sure you guys are taken care of. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate when you donate it, but man, you get, we get, we want you guys to be safe and taken care of first and foremost. Right. As for your question, what do you think of John Reed? I actually really like John Reed. I like how he can play fit into the scheme. That's one of the biggest things that I've highlighted in in my notes is that he can come in and he can have a maybe not a huge impact, but he can impact this defense right away. Day one, just because he's playing in a similar defense uh, coverage scheme at Penn state. Yeah, no, I, you're right. Uh, for a day three pick, that's the way to go. Uh, I just was <laughs> a certain radio station talked about how they shouldn't take wide receiver because it's the deepest <laughs> position in the draft. Well, th- there's a lot of other positions in this draft that are very deep. Safety is one of them. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of guys I like in that second, third, fourth, fifth round of the draft that I, I could see being a quality player for the Broncos this next upcoming season at the safety position. Yeah, there's definitely there's a lot of guys. And it's funny because a couple months ago I was talking about how I really don't like the safety class. And then I started digging into these deeper guys. Then I was able to get access to more Jeremy Chen tape and Kyle Duggar tape. And mm-hmm. those guys really skyrocketed on my yeah. board. Like outside of having one or two games of each of them, like that's not enough to really fully evaluate for me anyways. Right. And so just all these other guys, I mean, Terrell Burgess, he really rose up. Um, Javelin Guidry out of another Utah guy, he he uh, rose up for me. Jared Maiden out of Alabama. Nigel Warrior out of Tennessee, like the list goes on. I actually really like the safety class now. Not so heavy at the top. There is a couple weak parts in it, but day three, I think there's a lot of talent. Right. And linebackers in that same boat. There's a lot of guys in those mid-round picks that I'm like, man, I, I almost – it's not that I like them quite as much as some of those first-round guys, but, I mean, they're, it, the drop-off isn't as bad as a lot of people think it is. Yeah. And then Cody Chapa comes in, and how many pro bowlers do you think we will have next season? I think six is possible. Sutton, Reisner, Jackson, Simmons, Chubb, and Casey. I think that just because of how voting is, it's really hard to predict. I think that I definitely think every single guy you named is very deserving of it. I think that off that list, I can see maybe three three or four actually getting it. I could yeah. see Jackson, Simmons, and Chubb getting overlooked easily. I could see Reisner getting overlooked easily. So it, it's, it's very hard. And and it really depends on the the record of the team. Yeah. If they go twelve and four, well then yeah, you're probably going to see at least six guys get in. Um, and if they're like ten and six, probably closer to three or four. It, it just, I mean, the, the success of the team helps the success of the individual when it comes to that voting. Yeah, and part of that is the fan voting. Is a lot of fans of other teams don't take notice of other teams' players unless they're playing, unless the team is playing well, and that player is a direct cause for that. Right. Manny Wise comes in. How much time do you guys spend on evaluating players, and when do you start? Also, what resources do you guys use to evaluate them? This is a question that I want to ask because actually, over the last few weeks, I've gotten this question a lot on Twitter and DMs over Facebook requests, things like that. And I actually start watching for next year's class right about now. I'm actually getting ready to start jumping into 2021. All my evaluations for 2020 are done. My board's set. I mean, if I get some distressing information, I might make slight adjustments off that. Like, oh, so-and-so was arrested for this. 
things like that, I would cause some changes. But for the most part, it's pretty much done. So I start actually the year before the the previous year's or pre before the previous year's draft. There we go. That's what I was trying to say. And then I spend a lot of time watching them. I mean, I'm a minimum of five games for me to hand out a solid grade is what it is for me. And even then, I feel not the most comfortable about it. I prefer, <laughs> I prefer about seven or eight games for a solid grade for that. And I try to look at different ones. I try and get whatever information I can about injuries, about background, all that stuff like that. It's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time I spend. It's basically a full-time job for me is how I treat it uh, at least 40 hours a week. Sometimes, I mean, coming start January every year, it goes up to about 80, 80 hours a week. Like I spend a lot of time watching tape. Yeah. Um, so I, I just wanted to give you uh, our listeners some, some resources. Uh, Jesse Fritz, uh, I would look him up on Twitter. He has a, a Google Doc of all the players that they have video on and information on. They have some behind-the-scenes information that others don't always have uh, that, that the average fan can get a hold of. Um, and they, they have lots and lots of videos on there. there there's a lot of other guys. I, I know when well, – I can't remember what group it was. They used to, br- to break down tape. Uh, oh, um, draft breakdown. Yeah. Is that, that it? Okay. Yeah, that was when, when they shut down, some of their people still kept making film. Um, they are doing now where you can go do like give a dollar a month or something like that. And you get access to their entire video library and they'll have hundreds of tapes of players. Um, so I have a couple of them that I follow. And so I watch all those tapes as many as I can of each of those players. And I, I don't go as deep as you do. Uh, you, you're, you and Nick are a little bit more draft obsessed than I am. <laughs> Uh, I will say Nick starts scouting 2021 while he's doing 2020. Um, I have so many times that Nick will send me tape and say, Carl, you got to watch this player for 2021. I'm like, dude, I am watching 2020. Okay. (laughs) I don't have time for next year already. Uh, So uh, yeah, if you ever have questions about the next draft, Nick and Eric are the two guys to ask about that for, for some guys to start watching early. Um, but, uh, yeah, usually the way it works for me is I start with the top guys because those are the easy ones to get the tape on. They already usually have their season for like the 2019 tape out there, watch that. And then as the 2020 tape starts coming out, start watching that as much as you can. And, uh, for some of the small school guys, those are the tough ones. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes you have to actually like watch entire games and try to find them on video. And I mean, it is, it is frustrating. But, you know, I mean, we we love it, so it makes it worth it. But there are times where you're you're in the grind and you're going, man, how much more time am I going to devote to this right here? This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So you brought Nick into this, and I don't know how many times over the years since I got to know Nick that he has mentioned, oh, hey, you should check out player this. I was like, all right, what's school? And what year? Those are two big things of information. And if it's a guy who's just like a sophomore that has no chance coming out the year, I tell Nick, I like, dude, like, I'm not going to watch him until next year. So remind me, but I'm not watching him right now. I'm focused on this. <laughs> so the, Nick Nick is the much better resource for 2021. Nick is a huge college football fan. I'm really not. And a lot of people ask me or point out how weird that is that I'm so much into the draft that I'm, but I'm not a big college football fan. I don't watch the games live. I don't watch any of that. Well, very rarely do I watch games live. So Nick is definitely the better resource for that. I always check out the breakdowns of stuff later. And then right. small school guys, yeah, definitely is. You end up watching, having to watch full tape, full games, memorizing their number, hunting for that number, pausing it, starting and over and over and over again. It definitely takes the most time. And that is lucky if you are able to find the tape. Yep. And then Bonnie Beast, at the, at the end of the show, we need a job impression because it's where you're doing a Gungan leader in your pat last impression. I was. It was Boss Nass. <laughs> <laughs> there All you right, go. Let's, let's go down a little bit, find the next question. We got Holden Adams coming in with a donation. Appreciate that. Uh, I'll read this one, give you a break. <laughs> uh, we have been fortunate to get Reisner, Locke, and Sutton in the second round when they were seen as first rounders. Can we get another first rounder in the second? Well, I, I will say this. The, the last couple of drafts, we've been a little bit higher up in the second round. Yeah. Um, so being that at the 15th pick or, or 14th pick there in the second round, it's going to be a little bit tougher. But it, it is kind of just stay disciplined to your board. 
Broncos have done a much better job the last couple of years, staying very disciplined and taking players that that they think can be high quality players for their team. Uh, obviously, I mean, Reisner right down the, the road from them. Um, it was pretty easy pick there and, and trading back up for Locke. That was great. Uh, Sutton was a surprise. I, I'll be honest. I was not the biggest Sutton fan just because he was so raw coming out. He ran about two, three routes in college. And uh, that's the problem with wide receiver position is college. Most of them only run two or three routes. And so you are having to try to predict how much they are going to dedicate to growing themselves as a player. This is why Cody Latimer, he didn't really care about growing for a long time in his, his NFL career. And uh, I mean, Peyton Manning got really frustrated with him because Peyton would be trying to talk to him and he'd be playing on his phone. Yep. So again, I mean, Cody Latimer was a freak in college. Didn't make it in the NFL. Yeah. And one thing too, that you have to consider in is with this year and especially, and I, I talk about this on Twitter a lot and a big thing that's going to hurt this year is the lack of draft process, all the changes to it with what's going on around the world. Teams aren't able to do all this information about it. So teams aren't going to be going, Hey, we think this guy is actually a first round talent. We he's, He's a guy that we're going to take at 20 and then cause other talent to fall. I think this year we're going to see a lot, not a, not like exactly the same to public media boards and everything, but I think we will see a lot of similarities with where people go. I don't think we'll see that many surprises early on in the draft. I think they're going to want to stick with guys who they view as safe, that they've done a lot of work on. So I could see it where first-round talent guys aren't going to fall. But also depending on how you ask is there's – I've seen anywhere from – like 30 guys. I mean, I have 25 guys as first round grades on my personal board too. I've seen as many people, as many as 45 players on first round board and first round grades uh, from analysts. So really depends on who you ask about that. Definitely, a po- definitely a possibility though. Yep. Richard Pasha comes in and said with a $5 donation. Thank you for that. Yes. What do you guys think of Ashton Davis from Cal? I really like him starting in the third round, a lot of speed and a thumper. Thanks guys. Well, at one point he used to be my number my number two safety, and then that was before I really dug into Xavier McKinney, though. I mean, and before Grant Delpit, Delpit really fell down my board, and then Antoine Winfield rose up, and Kyle Duggar and Jeremy Chin. But I really like Ashton Davis. I think that he is very similar to Justin Simmons with what he brings. So I'm not sure he's a good fit for the Broncos as a result, but I definitely like it, like the prospect of him. Yeah, no, he was one of the first safeties I got my got my eyes on uh, because I remember him picking off Justin Herbert and uh, just watching him just cut right between uh, he's trying to throw it down the seam and just made a great play on the football. And I was like, Whoo, that was nice. I'll take that. And so then I started watching a few more of his games. And so I, I like his game, uh, but you're right. As, as I watch more safeties, he's kind of moved down my board. Doesn't mean I don't like him still. It's just, there's other guys that I have above him that I would rather see on the Broncos right now. And then Stray Co. 303720. I really liked Eric's mock draft. It was perfect, and hopefully it comes to fruition. It put me on to Devin Duvernay. Well, thank you for that. I really liked Eric's mock draft, too. <laughs> <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> you actually like the mocks you do? That's crazy. <laughs> then Nate Ludlow comes in with a $2 donation, and t- uh, Terry Randall comes in with a $2 donation. Carl's Golf Fund. Yes. <laughs> Carl's Golf Fund. That's Thank right. you both for your guys' donations. We really appreciate that. Um, I did see somebody out there ask about why about answering their questions. Sorry, we're getting a lot of questions. Not able to get to them all, and I just haven't seen your questions pop up. Definitely, basically, spam it. If you put it in every now and then, we'll definitely catch it, and, I will, and depending on what it is, we'll answer it if I see it. Glenn Hosser comes in with the $5 donation. I'm so fascinated in your player evaluation. How did each of you start doing this? Who's the highest graded player you have ever had? And who's the lowest? <laughs> Ooh, that's asking how we start, how I started in this isn't actually a hard question. Yeah. It was, I started this in what really started doing this about 18 years ago when I was about 10 years old. Um, can't remember who, what the, which player it was, but one player, I just I was back when I watched a lot of college football before I really fell out of love with college football. And just one player I really loved, wanted to see where he go. He ended up failing in the NFL, by the way. Um, and just ever since then, I just got fascinated with that because it was the whole thing of, man, this guy was such a stud in college. Why didn't he succeed in the NFL? 
So I wanted to figure out why. Why why didn't he transition? Why didn't his game transition to the NFL? Wanted to figure that out each year, reading books, de- uh, developing my not to sound egotistical, developing my talents about this, reading up on what to look for with offensive linemen, quarterbacks, how to evaluate all these different positions, how to scout, basically. So 10 years old, I'm sitting here learning how to do this stuff, and it wasn't until about, let's see, I want to say about 10 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, might have been like 12 or so, that I really got into it. I found my way to a Broncos um a broncos.com board chat room kind of thing. And I was sitting there and there talking about it for a couple of years. Then Chad discovered me all those years ago. And just ever since then, I continued doing that. My highest graded player that I've ever had. If I, hmm, I think it was, I think it was Andrew Luck, honestly. Um, highest graded non-quarterback, I think was Vaughn Miller, but I'm not positive on that. I do know my highest grade overall was Andrew Luck. My lowest, um, Hmm. I can't, I can't remember who my lowest was really. It was quite a few years ago, probably about four or five years ago. And um can't remember his name or anything, but it was a guy that I couldn't believe actually was thought he had a career in football. Um, so can't remember who, yeah. what his name was. So go ahead, Carl. How did you uh, get into it? Well, Terrence Newman, if anybody remembers him, uh, Dallas Cowboy cornerback for a long, lot of years. Uh, he went to K state. I'm from Kansas. And uh, Terrence Newman, he taught at a football camp that I went to. And so I really liked the guy and I started following his college career and then saw that he was going to be in the NFL draft. And so I was like, man, I got to watch this. And I started watching and I was like, man, I love this. This is this is awesome. Seeing like these players lives change, seeing how these teams are being built. And uh, so I just started getting into it more and more, watching more players. And it just kind of went from there. So that was clear back in. I think 2002 or 2003 that he was drafted. And so just been watching more and more of it. And it's one of those things when you find somebody else that loves the draft, you get really excited because it's hard to get people as excited. Uh, I have a lot of people who they know how much I love the draft and uh, they, they just find it weird. I, I, I'm sure you run into that too. Uh, my wife, the way that she knew how much I loved her, our, her birthday is always on the draft. And I skipped watching the draft that day to go have a birthday party with her. And so she's like, that's how I knew this is the guy for me. Um, highest graded player. Man, <laughs> this is uh this is tough. Because each tougher. year it's <laughs> it's it's really is tough because you have to sit there and think about every single player you evaluated. And for me, that's for me, that's 300 every year, at least basically for the last five, six years. So that's a lot of players. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I really loved Calvin Johnson when he was in the draft. I mean, just that size speed combination was just off the charts for me. Um, I, I didn't really have like an evaluation process at that point, but I just knew this guy's going to be a star when he gets to the league. And uh, obviously he ended up being a star lowest graded. It was, is an offensive lineman. I remember that because <laughs> like at the combine, they ran the worst time possible. I think it was like a five, five 40 or something like that. Was it Eric and flowers? No, not quite him, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just remember I was like, yeah, do not touch this guy. He's just, he's not even going to be on my board. It's not even worth watching this guy because of just, I mean, just by the combine alone, you know, like this guy's just not going to move. Yeah. He's a body to stand in the way of somebody for a half a second. Jordy Moncrief comes in. Yes, Ruggs is that guy at one or two routes. Actually, fun fact, of the nine main routes that a receiver runs, there was a statistic going around, I think it was by one of the pro football focus guys, that broke down every single route he ran, and he actually ran six different routes more than 100 times over the last two years. And then the other the other three routes he ran, I think it was at least 20 times. So he's definitely not just a one or two route guy. I mean, he was most effective running those corners or running those posts and they'll go routes, but he can run slants and kill a defense. He can run quick ends. He can run outs. I think the one that he did the least was comeback routes, but I'm not positive on that. He ran zero. He ran zero percent of comeback routes. Yeah. That, that shocked me because usually a speed guy, that's the, the number two route that they like to run. Because yeah. teams back off so far that that comeback route is usually pretty open for him. Um, 
So yeah, you're you're right. His his top route that he ran was the slant route at thirteen point eight two percent. Next is the screen route, which most guys that was their top one at right at thirteen percent. And uh, third was the go route, of course. And then in route and crossing route were the other two that were were high, were at least ten percent or higher for him. But yeah, he he was actually. I think the most balanced of any of the top wide receivers in the draft. Yeah, and then Jody Moncrief also comes and says everyone forgets Tim Patrick has speed. He actually really doesn't. He ran a timed four four seven at his pro day. He never lived up. He never plays to that speed. It was something that definitely exceeded expectations a little bit. But here's one thing too that has to be factored in at four twos. Comparing a four two seven to a four three eight, I did the math. It's this is comparing Henry Ruggs to Denzel Mims. If you if play on a five second play. Henry Ruggs is picking up one and a half more yards than Denzel Mims. So that's a huge difference there between a 427 and a 438. And then you make that to a 447, which the player doesn't fully play at. That is a huge difference. And that can be the difference between winning a game and losing a game. Yeah. He's not. not, His deep speed's okay. I mean, you got him 40 yards down the field, he's okay at speed. But he's not going to win with those quick routes. I mean, that's why if you actually watch the the big plays of Henry Ruggs, they weren't the the go route. That that wasn't his main play that led to success because, one, Tua does not have a great deep ball. Uh, He he has a lot of floaters. Henry Ruggs is too fast for him. (laughs) He actually did better throwing to Devontae Smith on those deep balls, even Jerry Judy. He did better because that timing wise, he just couldn't keep up with Henry Ruggs. The slant route was the one where Henry Ruggs was at his best because you catch it with him, you know, right in stride, he's gone. Where Tim Patrick, he can't do those kind of plays. This is why, like, I like Tim Patrick, but I like him as a number four wide receiver, you know, as that backup behind Cortland Sutton. Not, not the number two guy on the outside where you're hoping that he can really take pressure off of Cortland Sutton. Yeah, definitely. And then Miller, 707 champ, comes in. What do you guys think of defensive tackle Rashad Lawrence and his fit with Denver? I like the player. I think that he's best suited as a full-time three-tech and a 4-3 front. Um, I don't I don't really don't like him in Denver's odd man front and their base packages. When they go to sub-packages, I think he can do all right. But I don't think he offers more than what the Broncos already have. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. He just he, He's not the longest guy. 6-2. Um, he doesn't have the longest arms by any mean. And 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 the 3-4, you like guys who have a little bit of length that they can keep guys off their body, that they can get their arms stretched out, take on two blockers if they need to. Uh, and he just he doesn't quite have that ability that you like. Yeah. And then Michael Roche comes in. When looking at wide receivers, what type of wide receiver would specifically complement Sutton? Should it be on the outside or in the slot? Well, I think it was Mike Clay. That was the guy who did the ESPN positional study. Yep. He came out and he determined that the Broncos, basically their weakest spot is wide receiver. And then when you look at, what is it, the war? Is that what the stat is that Thomas Hall looked at? Um, looking at the depth of the positions, I'm pretty sure it was war, where basically Deshaun Hamilton and Tim Patrick were both well beneath the average that you want from your re- from your receiver position. That Denver actually needs another outside and another slot receiver to come in and at the very least could push those guys. Because Tim Patrick, he had one good game against the Minnesota Vikings and a couple other flashes here and there. Deshaun Hamilton had 43% of his yards pop up in the final two games. Like they were guys that didn't show up consistently and that's needed for the Broncos to help complement Colin Sutton. They really could use a speed guy to help stretch the field, being able to stretch the field like a guy like Henry Ruggs is a guy who can help force attention from the defensive backs, from the safeties and everything like that, opening up space for Colin Sutton and Noah Fant. And then if they were to get a guy who can bring that good speed down there, I mean, even if it's not Henry Ruggs, if it's another speedster who can really stretch the field and open up spacing underneath, they need a guy who can take these short catches and make huge plays out of it. A guy like LaVisca Chenault, depending on where he falls. And there's another question out there that asks about how far he how far he fall. I mean, if he starts to fall and he's there round three, I'll definitely look at him at for Denver. I mean, if they already got, say, Henry Ruggs round one, then LaVisca Chenault pairing him with that speed and Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant, that is a hard to stop offense as long as he's staying healthy. So they definitely look at both of those. They definitely need a guy. But the biggest things that they're looking for is they want a speed guy who can help stretch the field, and they want a guy who can take short catches and make big plays happen. 
Right. The the name of the game in the NFL right now is spacing. Uh, I mean, the, the top teams are spacing teams out other than, I mean, the Titans like to bring things in. They're, they're kind of going the opposite direction, but that's because they have a running back that just destroys people. Uh, but but a lot of the top offenses, they want to spread teams out. They want to challenge teams uh, every level of the field, make them have to cover every inch that they possibly have to. And when you get those one-on-one situations, then you want your guys to be able to go out there and win. And uh, that, that speed right now is the main thing that's missing when they don't have to fear a guy winning over the top. Because, I mean, I know, yeah, Tim Patrick, he ran under a 4-5, but he's still not making teams have to keep a safety back there to worry about him. And so they're able to creep up where that, that safety would have to stay back for a guy like Henry Ruggs. Uh, Devin Duvernay is another one that offers a, a great speed option to go down the field. Um, you know, th- th- There's a few guys in this draft that you could look at beyond just Henry Ruggs. It doesn't have to be Henry Ruggs. I know yeah. everybody's kind of focused on him, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, but he, you also see what he brings to the table for sure. Um, so that, that would be nice. Uh, but the, the other guys, I mean, the other top two, Judy and, and Lamb, the nice thing is all three guys can play the slot and outside. They all were asked to do that in college. So you know that that can translate to the NFL of being able to do all of that. Yeah. And then Justin comes in, hashtag trickles horse hat fund with the $5 donation. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Appreciate that. It will definitely go towards getting me a, a horse hat. Jody Moncrief comes in with another one. And I know, Jody, I know you're very anti-rugs and everything like that. John Ross has speed, and what did that get him? Well, John Ross also couldn't catch a ball, and he also couldn't stay healthy on the field. Neither of those are concerns with Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs had, what, one drop in 2019 and two drops total in his career? Maybe three yep. drops total in his career? Hands aren't a concern with him. Right. Let's see here. There was – there we go. Here's the question I've been looking for. Cody Chepa, if you could have one former player come back and coach on the team, who would it be? It's a toss-up between Champ and DeMarcus Ware for him. I'll let you start this one off, Carl. I would really like to see guy – well, I guess because we have Munchak, I guess that's not as big of a deal. But I, I always loved Tom Nalen. Yeah. And I, I would listen to him talk on the radio one time. And I was blown away by his evaluation and just his understanding of what he needs to be doing, how he wins, all those kind of things. And I just thought, man, this guy needs to be coaching. So that, that is one guy I would love to see come back to the Broncos. One guy that I would absolutely love to see, and this might be a name that catches everybody off guard a little bit, as much as I love Champ Bailey and DeMarcus Ware, is this is a guy who really helped get me into football, Trevor Price. <laughs> I, can, I remember watching an interview and just all the ways that he talked about how he can, how he reads offensive linemen before the snap, knows what they're going to do, and immediately decides how he's going to counteract that and how fast that his brain was consistently working and everything. Some of the stuff you can't teach, but the technique and stuff like that, he'd always talk about how he prided himself on being able to win with the technique, and technique is a big thing on in the trenches. So that's definitely a guy that I would definitely bring in, letting him win with technique, just, just to let those guys go down. Yep. And then Jody Moncrief, why would you want Bama's second best wide receiver? I don't get that. I, I think that saying that any of the receivers at Alabama were first best or second best or third best or whatever is a little bit silly. Nothing against you, Jody. Just That's just my opinion on that. And I think the biggest reason for that is because they're just overloaded with talent at the receiver position. Like, I mean, you're not going to sit here and say a, a team with – let's see here, trying to think of a thing. Uh, Calvin Johnson, um, let's see – Smith, um, trying to think of some other great receivers throughout their throughout history. Randy Moss. You're not going to sit there and say that. Oh, hey, this guy. We shouldn't we shouldn't sign this guy because of he was the second number. He was the number two receiver on the team. Is they're all extremely talented. Alabama's yeah. looking at four receivers on their roster that are going to be first round picks. Right next year, Waddle and Smith are going to be first round picks. Right, unless they well, get hurt or in serious trouble, of course. Right. Well, and you think beyond them. They also had two tight ends that went first and second round that were on the roster for two of the years or yeah, two of the years that the rugs was there. Uh, And also Alabama is a predominantly running team. Even though they had all these weapons, even though they had Tua, it's still, they, they wanted to, to run the football and a lot of their games also, they don't stack their roster or their, their schedule. So a lot of their games are 49 to zero blowouts at halftime and they stopped throwing the football. And, and so just th- th- there's a lot of reasons behind, 
I think a lot of people look at the stats of rugs and say, man, those are such average stats. Why would you want to draft this guy? Stats are not a great indicator of, of how a player is going to do. I was talking to somebody earlier. They said, if, if stats are what you're looking for, look at Washington state and Texas tech uh, and, and the weapons that they put out there. I mean, their, their receivers are getting 14, 1500 yards every single year because their offenses are built to get that kind of thing. Uh, if they wanted to, to feature rugs, Honestly, if Ruggs was with Locke in Missouri, he would be a 1,200, 1,300-yard receiver every single year because he would be the number one wide receiver on that offense, and they would have a quarterback that would want to take advantage of his ability to win deep. Yeah, definitely agree on that. And let's see here. Before we get out of here, we do have a couple of other questions that we can take, just kind of scan through here. I saw somebody say if I put down my – if I put made my address on, I'd probably end up with a few horse head hats. Sorry, guys, not going to happen. Uh, there's so many people out there in the world that absolutely hate me. I'm not going to put my address out there. What? <laughs> you might get a real horse head at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. As evaluators, what was one player, what player on the game day roster that surprised you? Um, hmm. This is, this is actually a tough one, trying to think back of all the different players that are on the roster. Um, Keyshawn Bieria was one that surprised me this yeah, last year. He, he was one that I didn't think that should have made it, and he's probably would be my biggest surprise that actually made the made the 53-man roster initially. Um, yeah, it would pro- probably be him just because I, I never got the pick even. like He just wasn't right. there. Right. Uh, Corey Nelson starting at the beginning of the year made no sense. Yeah, I definitely agree on that too. And then uh, probably we'll take one more question after this. Richard Pasha comes in with a $5 donation. Thank you again. My dream hall at wide receiver this year, CD in the first, paired with a burner late, Duvernay, Duvernay Hightower, et cetera. CD is just a monster run after the catch guy. I agree. CD Lamb is actually my number one receiver. I absolutely love him. I love the game that he has and the game he brings to the table. If Denver ends up with him, I'd be super happy with it. I'd actually be ecstatic. I think he, I think he's more well-deserving of a top 10 pick in this. And pairing him with a guy like Duvernay, who has the speed, but I actually like his run after the catch ability, being able to design him short catch and letting him make plays or high tower. I'd be I'd be fine with that. I'd absolutely love it. Um, just just because I defend rugs a lot doesn't mean that I'm a big rugs guy. Um, actually, out of everybody at Mile Huddle, I'm probably the lowest guy on him. Actually, <laughs> it's just I understand yeah. what I understand what rugs brings. So right, rugs. He is the the type of weapon that the Broncos just do not have anybody on the roster like him at all. Yeah. Like Lamb, he is absolutely my favorite receiver in this draft, but he brings a lot of the same things that Sutton does. And so when you have that kind of crossover, I know Nick always likes to compare a wide receiver room to like that of a basketball team. If you have yeah. all point guards, well, they're, you're going to get killed on the inside. If you have all centers, you're going to get killed on the outside. Uh, so you like to have variety to really challenge teams all over the field and make them have to cover lots and lots of different types of, of receivers. Uh, you got those guys that can you know, destroy a zone, a guy that can destroy a man, all those kind of things, just like what the Chiefs have. I mean, they have a very wide variety of players on their roster. And uh, so I would love CD. If that's what the direction the Broncos go, I will completely understand it because I do think he is a good fit because he does get himself open. He's not the fastest guy, but he's also got yards after catch ability. Uh, I mean, he showed that big time as a returner, as a receiver, all of that. And yeah, being able to pair him with say a Duvernay or a Hightower or whoever uh, makes a lot of sense. So I- I'm not against that at all. Yeah. And my thing with rugs too, is that it's just getting to the point where I constantly, I find myself defending him because I see people constantly comparing him to John Ross, which he is nothing like. Um, John Ross dealt with injuries. John Ross, his re- John Ross was like a ninety-nine percent go route guy in college. Right, that's basically what he ran, and he had like a like twenty-seven percent drop rate in college too. Some ridiculous right. numbers that just Henry Ruggs isn't even close to. He right. runs more routes in that. He offers up a lot more than that. He's not just and, a guy. Comparing him to John Ross is just is just not what should be happening. And I do just want to say though, even though John Ross has all those issues. Cincinnati's offense is much better with him on the field than without. Yep. Just because of, just because he does have that speed element, teams have to worry about that. It's the same with Will Fuller. 
they average almost a touchdown more in Houston with Will, Will Fuller on the field. And, and I would say Ruggs is better than, than Will Fuller. I think he's got a more well-rounded game. He's got better hands for sure. I mean, really, they should be about two touchdowns better because Will Fuller drops a touchdown per game that he plays in. Yeah. Uh, so, again, even though they might just be speed guys, they still change how teams have to play them. Yeah, and on the and with that is Ruggs isn't just speed. I mean, his routes, do they need work? Yeah, but he's actually a solid route runner, and he improved on that this year. I mean, one big thing that I think that he still needs to work on is selling his fakes a little bit, and I think that he can seek and sink into his breaks a little bit better. But those right. are all that can come with coaching. I mean, we have Zach Kazani coaching, who improved Cortland Sutton's route running like tenfold. Like he was I, such a terrible route runner his rookie year. <laughs> but last year, like he wasn't he wasn't fantastic, but he was actually a really good route runner, and that is happening to that. I mean, that is partially thanks to what Zach Kazani was able to do with him. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. We did run a little bit longer than intended. Tomorrow, Lance will still be out. Again, Lance is currently working on moving due to some some squeaky problems in his current house. Um, so he's he's working on moving like that. Carl won't be joining me today, but I want to thank you, Carl, for joining me. Yeah. Or you won't be joining me tomorrow, but I want right. to join me today. There we go. So really appreciate that. Um, tomorrow it's going to be Chad is going to be joining me. Um, he'll probably be running things because quite frankly, I don't like running things. <laughs> so no offense guys. I just don't like trying to pick out questions. Cause I feel bad because me, I want to answer every single one of your guys's question. Like plain and simple is I want to answer all of your guys's questions. So if you guys do want a question answered, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. I'll answer it there. But guys, if you want to answer live on this, or if you want Chad's opinion as well, Come join us tomorrow, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We will be back and talking football. Until then, guys, please stay safe. And remember that Broncos country isn't a location, but a state of being. And with that, everyone, have a wonderful night. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.